I speak to you this day in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Much of the world, to the Advent police's dismay, is already celebrating Christmas. And today, after the service, we will have a mini showing of what Christmas is going to look like, hence the lights today at the service, to give you a glimpse of the coming attractions. But for us as Episcopalians, as church folk, today marks not Christmas, but the beginning of a new church year, the first Sunday of Advent. The first Sunday of Advent is the time in which Traditional churches press the button and begin again on a journey of remembrance through sacred history, starting with the Old Testament prophecy, which we've heard from Isaiah, proceeding through the life of Christ from his birth to his passion, resurrection, ascension, and culminating with the accounts recording the earliest days of the Christian church. So today, we're back to the beginning of that book, that favorite book. Advent, as you might imagine, directs our attention towards the epoch before the eternal Son of God, who became flesh and dwelt among us. It is a time in which we remember that we are pilgrim people like the Israelites of old. We too are wandering eagerly awaiting God's breaking in the time and space to fulfill those promises for him to put all things to rights. For this reason, though, Advent is a time of holy discomfort because it reminds us of our calling to wait, wait upon the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I'm not known for waiting. This morning, I consider it my privilege to provide something like a devotional as we begin this Advent. Perhaps, I hope that my tactics don't hurt more than they help. And I think you've heard this exercise before. We will know it in about 10 minutes. So what I will do is ask you two questions, but unlike Bishop Matt, you don't have to raise hands here. This is, not a spec this is a spectator sport. And I want you to seriously ask yourself, question number one, have you ever felt the presence of Jesus? Question number two, if you felt the presence of Jesus, how were you sure that it was Jesus? There's always the rub, isn't it? When I pray for God's will, and especially for God's will for St. Peter's and my ministry and everything, there is a thin layer between what I think I want to do and what God thinks I should do. So at any time we pray, how do we know it's God who is speaking? People often talk about feeling the presence of God. I feel the presence of God every time I walk into the sanctuary, for example. People wax eloquently about their experiences of God, who got their attention, who changed their lives, and even converted them. Yesterday when I was 
sitting up, the door was unlocked, and some lady wandered in, and I certainly wasn't in a place or clothing that I wanted to receive anybody. And she said, are you the pastor? And, you know, what are you going to say? I said, yes, I am. I wasn't wearing clericals. And she said, I heard that you were a convert. And I said, yes. And the lady said, um, how did you convert? Can you tell me? So I ended up telling her a little bit about of that experience, that mountaintop experience, if you will. But most of us, most of our life, we don't really have a mountaintop experience. We don't even experience God imminent, God's imminent presence all that much. Are there any less serious believers to those who do not experience than the ones who live on the mountaintop? You know what they say about mysticism? It ordinarily starts with mist and ends with schism. And at the risk of offending those who have religious experiences frequently, and believe you me, I would love to have them frequently, perhaps let's ask a question. Let us not be cynical before we believe in the supernatural as Episcopalians and in the human capacity to experience it. And what is more, when I confess that I believe with all my heart that I have experienced the presence of God in ways that are rationally unexplainable. On the other hand, there is another way, almost counterintuitive way, which our faith in God is strengthened and confirmed by our perception of His presence. A way that closely relates to the devotional rationale for Advent. There is no stronger testimony to human belief in God than what Edna St. Vincent Millay eloquently described as God's presence of his absence. In a strange but remarkable way, our inexperience of God speaks to us, to the reality that God exists, than any other divine mystery that we might encounter. Let me tell you what I mean. Have you ever encountered a circumstance that made you cry from the depths of your heart? Saying things just shouldn't be this way. If you have, what you experienced in that moment was the presence of God's absence in a situation. And that is a real religious experience as a divine epiphany. You see, when we make the claim that something ought to be the case, we recognize that something is lacking in a situation. And when we appeal to right and wrong, we are making a faith claim for our basis. It is not logical or scientific, is it? Our sense of things the way they ought to be, based neither on science or, or rationalistic proofs, it defies pure logic, and it cannot be dis dis discovered by the observation of the natural. Don't believe me? Prove that stealing is morally evil. Nature demonstrates that stealing can be advantageous. Reason tells us often enough to do it when it serves us, only the danger of repercussions threaten us. 
So at a fundamental level, what makes stealing wrong? Popular agreement. And what is the basis of that popular agreement? Common good. And how do we determine the common good? What's best for our survival? Would you steal, for example, to survive? I bet most of us in this room would. At the any end of the day, our values can't be proven by science or philosophy. They just are. And to claim that just is, is to claim it, believing in something supernatural, something that's above in nature and determined by natural means. So we are confronted by circumstances that arouses us to contend. It shouldn't be this way. We are, whether we know it or not, acknowledging belief in a transcendental truth. We are discerning God's will. We are experiencing God's will in the world. And we can't prove it as to why. Because we are detecting the presence of God's absence to make a situation right. We may not know why we believe this to be so. It just is. So I find it particularly interesting that the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, is most properly rendered in the English as that which just is. I don't think that's a coincidence. Here is the finality of my point. When we perceive what seems to be the presence of God's absence in the world around us, we, became, we become partakers of a religious movement greater than any epiphany. Remember the words of Jesus to the person we rather call Doubting Thomas? Happy are those who do not see, but yet believe. No mystical experience can so solidify our faith that it removes from us all doubt for long. When you have a mountaintop of experience, you say, I'll never doubt again. Three months later, you're doubting God's presence. You know what I mean, don't you? Even witnesses of Jesus' miracles in the Gospels could honestly say no more than the grieving father in Mark 9.24. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's the perfect phrase for this sermon. The mystical experiences are, have a fairly short shelf life. Look at the disciples. They saw Jesus for three years doing miracles. They were ready to write Jesus off within hours of the Calvary. Spiritual highs may encourage us in the short term, but they won't sustain us through the long, hard way that is the Christian life. And that's what the saints struggle with. And that's what the saints overcome. This brings me finally to the back of the subject of Advent. Advent is a time for watching and waiting. A time for recognizing that things in the world, in the church, aren't as they should be. But there will be a way, day that they will finally will be. Advent compels us to look at the world and cry out with Isaiah's scripture. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence, to make your name known to your adversaries, 
so that the nations might tremble at your presence. Advent works in us a sword of discomfort that should and could drive us to believe, not based on evidence or out of sheer hope for a better future, but we can get there if we walk this Advent with simple trust in God's faithfulness in the past, because not to do so would destroy us in our present. Friends, at the risk of sounding glib, allow me to show a play on words to bring my point home. Advent is a divine appointment in which God calls the church to remember what we may perceive the presence of God's absence and is not an indication of absence of his presence. God is working in the world. He is working slowly and quietly. And by doing so, he is teaching us a valuable lesson that we forget. God is God and we are not. At the immortal words of William Cowper, we learn to judge not this world by feeble sense, but trust God for his grace. In closing, we embark upon our Advent journey. I'd like to teach you a, a simple creed that I have taught you before, but remind you so that maybe you could take this out into the week. I believe in the sun even when it isn't shining. I believe in love even when I am alone. I believe in God even when and especially when he is silent. Amen.